Welcome to the Get Funded Podcast featuring Eric Valines and John Biggs. We're the authors of a new book called Get Funded, and we're running a series of webinars about PR, investment, and other startup-related stuff. If you'd like to join us on the show, just visit youcangetfunded.com. That's youcangetfunded.com. We recorded this episode on May 4th, and we're joined by Slava Rubin, the co-founder of Indiegogo and a longtime investor. Enjoy. Slava, I've known you for, uh, for decades and decades. Uh, it has to have sure. been decades. Why don't you tell us your, your story and, uh, and what you're up to now? My story. Um, born in Belarus in 78, came to Brooklyn, moved from when I was seven years old to Pennsylvania, um, then went to public high school, then went to University of Pennsylvania, Wharton School for undergrad, Graduated in 2000, was a strategy consultant for eight years, then started Indiegogo uh, crowdfunding, um, came up with the idea in 2006, launched it in January 2008, and did that for over a decade as CEO, founder with my two co-founders, and then left a couple years ago, put in a CEO and started a venture fund, actually. So now I have a partner, Cyrus Masumi, who created ZocDoc, and the two of us raised $30 million, three zero, for early stage investing into seed and A, um, usually not the first money in though. And uh, yeah, separate from that, I've been exec chairing a new business in the fintech space around alternative investments. Okay, so I want I want to go at this from two angles and eric my co co-author uh he might have some questions too i'm gonna go at this from two angles when you started indiegogo 2006 right yeah we came up with the idea in october 2006 we launched in january 2008 so it took two years from two uh, let's say a year and a half to to launch this thing yeah how, how, did, how did you know that that was going to be the project that you were going to work on uh for the next gosh uh probably like 10 years 15 years right yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did I know? Um, I thought it was like a really big idea. And what I mean by that is it didn't feel like you'd be able to just solve it uh, pretty quickly. So it felt like you have uh, an evergreen ability to keep improving it. And if you think about it, it was just access to capital. So before, um, you know, Indiegogo and uh, 2006, you're really looking at your traditional gatekeepers as the way you get money, you know, your banks, your VCs, your government institutions, one person has to say yes, and otherwise you're get rejected. And I just thought it was a really big undertaking. So I like that. Uh, so that was one reason. And I liked my co founders. Uh, one of them was a really good friend of mine from the consulting firm that I've been working at for six years prior seven years. So we became good buds. Um, and I guess worst case scenario is like, oh, well, I'll just learn a whole bunch and it won't work out. And I just feel that the process of failure, people undervalue. Um, failure for failure's sake sucks, but uh, failure, which leads to a lot of learnings, I think is awesome. So I just thought it was going to be a win-win no matter what. What do you tell a founder who's, uh, who fails endlessly over and over again? Like myself, for example. Well, 
let's not make this, let's not make this into a therapy session. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if we're going to uh, abstract it, and I would say that uh, failure for failure's sake sucks, but um, if you're learning from the results, both positive and negative, and most learnings usually comes from negative results, it's hard to learn from positive. Mm-hmm. Um, then I would say that that's okay. And even if you're failing multiple times, I'd like to believe that there's multiple learnings and um, they might be channeled into your next startup or they might be channeled in other places of your life, which is working out really well. So um, yeah, if, if, if you're constantly doing the same things and you're not learning and you're constantly failing, then yes, I guess that's kind of the, um, the recipe for madness. Okay. Okay, so let's go back. Since you're kind of time limited, I want to give these guys a little bit of time to ask you questions. I want to talk about um, funding and investment, uh, especially right now. What do you think? What do you think the VC world looks like in in 2021? I mean, if this everything's changed essentially, uh, or from a fiscal perspective or from a personal perspective, do you think it has changed that much? Um. I must admit, whoever is the Avatar character, it's it's quite fascinating. I'm like a little you bit. See this? It's Loom AI. It's a new thing. What what is this? I think I could. I think I have it too. It's awful. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's actually created by some guys who uh, worked in Hollywood uh, and did a bunch of movie things like The Hulk and other big movies. And basically, they they. They're bringing this kind of technology to consumers now through this app that they have, and uh, this lip syncs. So they also have a way you can track your face, but I don't think it's in the current version that I'm using. Uh, it's cool. I must admit, I'm like slightly weirded out. Like, <laughs> I, I, as the other people are looking at me, if you know, <laughs> having this avatar kind of like stare me down is a bit scary. Okay, Jeff, hide, hide yourself. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So I think that um, a few things, 2021 is far away. Mm-hmm. So definitely the investor landscape has evolved in the last uh, couple months, I would say for sure. It's constantly evolving, but I think that there's been uh, very abrupt changes. You know, we've seen growth for pretty much a decade or even over a decade it's been hard to see any downturns. So valuations and investments and overall money has really been on the rise. And for people who are kind of, um, have only seen that level or that generation, then they think that's normal. Um, I would say that it's gone quite frothy and a little over the top. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing some normalization. Uh, For some people that will be a shock because what used to be a $10 million valuation might now be a $6 million valuation and it might feel like um, terrible. But if you compare that $6 million valuation to maybe eight years ago, it's totally uh, a little bit of growth, if not uh, flat. So um, so from that perspective, I think we're just seeing a, a whole new market, which is a downturn, which we haven't seen for a long time. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, especially in March, And now it's starting to open up a little bit, but everybody has uh, tightened up on spending money, whether it's spending money on consumer staples or spending money on alternative investments or into anything. 
So, uh, you know, there was a fight to cash where cash is just so golden and you just uh, don't want to be making any investments. So uh, that definitely has happened. I think that's loosening up and there will be investments that are being made from VCs uh, by the end of the year. Uh, I would be guessing that there's quite a few VCs that since COVID really hit America, that they haven't made one investment. They say they're making investments. They might have um, backed their own portfolio with some money, but not made any new investments. But I do think that they will be making investments. My guess at a macro level is that there will be investments done by the end of the year, but versus the expectation of number of investments for each fund, the amount will be less. Mm -hmm. By what amount, I'm not sure. Uh, let's call it 10% less, maybe half less. Uh, but the investments will still happen. I would guess that overall valuations will come down. Um, the places that it's still easiest to get money is in the super early stage. So brand new ideas and very late stage where it's kind of like pre-IPO. There's no question that your company is going to do well uh, in terms of it's going to survive. It's just a matter of what are the prices. So the reasons for that is there's always going to be new ideas. and what used to be uh, half a million dollars got a small amount of your brand new company. Now, let's say it's a whatever $5 million valuation and all of a sudden your 500 grand just took 10% of the company. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a uh, interest still in that happening. Will it be 500 grand or hundred grand? So super early stage, I, st I still think is gonna get invested into, but at you know, giving up a lot more equity. And then much later stage, you're seeing the Airbnbs and other companies like that. Uh, they're just taking haircuts on their valuations, right? So I think Airbnb just raised two $1 billion, $1 billion chunks uh, at like a 10 or 20% discount to their previous valuations. And they're also giving like a 9% interest rate, which is pretty hefty for, for people that thought they were about to go public. Mm -hmm. So I think on the barbell side, there's still uh, investments happening. Um, and really, it's kind of greed that is leading to those investments because uh, they're just taking a lot of risk and taking a huge amount of the company or they know the company is going to exist and they're getting an arbitrage play. The A's, the B's, the C's, I think are very challenged right now. Uh, it's hard to know if your company is going to survive. It's hard to know if there's more runway coming uh, a year from now or if there's more cash coming. So um, yeah, that's why you're seeing a lot of cost reductions, a lot of cost cutting in a world where you can't really control revenue, you got to try to control your runway with your uh, expense side. So did I answer your question, John? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Meandered all over the place. No, I think that's, I think that that's, that's important to, to know. Like, I think it, the fact that you see early stage and way late stage as the two things is kind of interesting because it used to well, when be I say early, super early, super early. Like it's like better for you to like have very little traction and give away terrible valuations because once you start having traction, they're going to start measuring you on your traction and it's probably going to start being tough to get any decent valuations. So that's an interesting question. How do how do I how do I do that? How do I as a startup I'm, I I create a new I create a new product. How do I uh, approach you with no traction? What is that? What is the what is my pitch? Well, for my also fund, imagine if we added it added it from a virtual perspective. So let's take it to right now. Take that same question, but the challenge is of perhaps having to virtually pitch you over the next couple mm -hmm. of months. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so my fund, we're probably not getting involved into the super early thing either way. Uh, we typically want to see traction unless you're uh, a repeat entrepreneur with serial success from before. 
So we're following the round that I'm talking about right now. So we would be the next investors. We are actually, you know, into that difficult investment rounds that I'm referring to. Um, but really, hopefully, you're able to get some preliminary traction off of raising 100 grand or 500 grand. And that's usually going to be friends and family. And uh, you're going to cobble that together. Um, I think, you know, pulling off a, you know, I got no product, I got nothing, and I'm just trying to raise a 1.5 right now is going to be really hard. Really mm -hmm. hard. Um, I, I think, I think, Josh, you might be talking, but you're muted. Am I on now? Yeah, yeah go for it, Josh. Yeah, so I was going to ask you. So I've had a lot of conversations with my fellow early stage investors over the past few months. And most of them are not making investments at all. So who, who have you heard is making these really early stage investments, right? I'm not seeing. Yeah, no, um, it's definitely, I'm not saying in general that there's uh, a ton of it. I'm saying that's where it's still happening, which is super early stage. Um, you know, it's the same reason that uh, in the public markets, you know, in March, uh, some people started backing up this truck and investing on the huge dip, right? You feel like there's an opportunity for things that are on sale. Um, and for super early stage investors, some of them feel like things are massively on sale and you're going to have risk either way. So what used to be a, uh, an eight pre or a 10 pre, all of a sudden you're getting, I'm seeing fours, I'm seeing fives. Uh, I don't want to name names, but there's definitely like the early, when I say early, I'm not talking about A's, right? I'm talking pre-seed um, and I'm talking about friends and family and people are taking some of those risks because the reality is 10 years from now, there will be great companies that came out of this recession, out of you know, 2020 to 2022 there will be some great companies in 2030. No questions asked. We just don't know who they are right now. And, and that's what happened 10 years ago too. Um, so you think, people, you think people are basically taking a shot at this point, that it's sort of, they're rolling the dice like happened the last time, because frankly, there's no real way to judge in many of these cases, given we don't have any understanding of what the environment is going to be like over the next couple of years yet. Well, what I would say is, when you're that early stage that I'm talking about, you're rolling the dice anyway, right? So instead, you're getting to have two to three X the portfolio for the same dollar amount. What used to get you, you know, uh, a $300,000 investment on a 10 million pre, now you have three $100,000 investments on three or four pre's and you just got triple the portfolio for the same investment. So I think that's what people are looking at. Got it. And, and what verticals are you seeing other than the obvious ones related to the pandemic right now that people are interested in? Well, again, I'm not trying to say like, uh, like there's a lot of action. I'm saying that's where there is the action because in the A's, the B's and C's, I think it's super tight, super tight. Um, so what verticals? I think that obviously, fin uh, sorry, uh, pandemic related is hot. Uh, but everybody needs to figure out where is that going to land, and you're just really kind of taking risks right now. I think health tech is was hot, is hot, will be hot, uh, and you just got to figure out how you want to navigate that. Uh, fintech is still very trendy. There's actually um, some direct-to-consumer action that's happening right now because uh, customer acquisition costs are actually way down for this period of time. We're seeing uh, between 20 to 50 percent. Uh, customer acquisition costs down on performance marketing, where you're seeing some uh, investors trying to help uh, support that. So 
Uh, I don't want to uh, mislead you to think that uh, it's better than it was. It's not. Uh, I'm just saying that's where there's any action because I think the A's, the B's, the C's are super tight right now. Okay. Uh, real quick, I think we we talked. So so before you before you left Indiegogo, one of your uh, one of your pet projects was sort of uh, equity crowdfunding. Where do you think that's that goes in the future? Yeah. So. Um, Equity crowdfunding started in 2016, uh, in the fall of 2016, that it finally went uh, live in the United States. So we're uh, just past, you know, we're about three and a half years in, almost at our four-year anniversary. I would say it's going okay. Um, for the media and for the kind of the big thinkers, they would say that it's going very slow. Um, but it went from a standing start where it never existed before. So I really didn't expect it to take over like the New York, you know, New York stock market or anything mm-hmm. uh, overnight. Uh, I think it's on a good trajectory. Um, they're looking to improve some of the rules. So I would say it's not having a massive impact uh, on the market. It is an option. And there are some decent companies that are using it. Uh, but I think you kind of have to look at it as kind of a 20 year horizon uh, to really make a dent into the financial markets. Okay. All right, guys. I want to let uh, Slava go at one thirty. Uh, what else do you guys have to to ask? Yeah. Hi. This is Sasha. Um, I, I have a question. Um, you, you mentioned you're sort of in the early, you know, early days, but not 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 com- not very very early. So you know, seed or, or a round. Um, what made you make that decision versus being in the on the you know, B side or just you know angel investor? And the question number one and number two is. How many um, how many investments do you have if you're able to share that right now in your in your fund? Just just a number. Yeah, sure. So it's a thirty million dollar fund, three zero, and we have twelve investments uh, so far. Um, the reason for our stage is both Cyrus and I were angel investors with our own money, uh, going back already for eight years. Uh, we've invested into some pretty good companies that you've heard of. Um, the idea is that um, we want to see enough traction where we feel like we could actually evaluate the entrepreneurs for more than just being John or Sally. So we want to actually be evaluating the product and seeing how it's doing, but not have so much data where it's really a, you know, uh, a Wall Street analysis where you get uh, three years of data to determine uh, the retention rates uh, sort of thing. Uh, we like seeing a quarter million dollars of run rate of revenue uh, as our kind of bogey. Um, so have we invested before that? We have. Uh, we've af- actually invested into quite a few uh, repeat entrepreneurs um, that we like that audience and they like us. Uh, one of those companies is actually Tom Lee's most recent company. So he's exited twice and most recently into One Medical going public. Um, so his most recent health tech company is one of the companies we invested in kind of off of a quote unquote piece of paper. Um, but we only do that into repeat entrepreneurs that we've known already for years. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're looking for that kind of quarter million dollar run rate bogey. And we want to be able to, uh, you know, get, understand the business and understand you. So we also feel that it's a very unique position, which is it's kind of easy to just start a company. Um, doesn't mean you'll do well, but just starting it. And 
really at the later stage, it's really becomes just quantitative analysis, which is just how much money do you have and uh, what kind of return are you looking for, kind of like a Wall Street analysis. We feel in New York, especially San Francisco is a little better at this, um, that being able to evaluate early off of early traction is something that's missing for a lot of um, East Coast VCs. And we believe that's really based on a lack of operator experience. So, um, you know, both Cyrus and I are operators. We surround ourselves with all operator advisors. Uh, our favorite investors into our two respective companies uh, were operators. So we brought in like Max Klefchin or uh, Jeff Bezos or Nicholas Zenstrom or Mark Benioff or the Partovi brothers, Keith Raboy, Ben Ling, Megan Smith, uh, Richard Branson. These are like killer names, but they were all operators who were super helpful in building our two respective companies. So we were trying to pay it forward into um, kind of an operator point of view for the, uh, the next entrepreneurs. So we just thought it's a very unique spot uh, where we can really leverage our skill set to help the entrepreneurs and the companies. That's very really helpful. A, uh, whoever A is, you said, you said, what do you want to see before investing? What do we want to see before investing? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no uh, black and white. Uh, we have some thresholds, you know, to help try to filter. Um, so the industries we prefer are marketplaces, health tech, and frontier tech. Uh, frontier tech is what we consider the kind of the most cutting edge uh, software or engineering. Uh, outside of that, uh, I would say we've done a few firms that are outside of that opportunistically. Uh, we also prefer that uh, you're a New York-based uh, company, but not a requirement, uh, but more than half of our portfolio is New York-based. Again, we're looking for a quarter million dollars of run weight uh, is what we prefer, especially if, uh, if you've been around. Uh, and if you're a repeat entrepreneur, we're open uh, to discussing as a new idea. And after that, we really just look through uh, all the basics, right? Try to understand the product, understand your vision, understand why you're doing this. What are you in economics? What's the competition? All the basics. You guys have one more question or I actually have a question. Uh, anybody? No. If you were starting, if you're starting right now, uh, in the position you were in, in 2006, uh, what would you do to get a uh, investor's intention or would you even look for investment right now uh, for something like a new Indiegogo or, or your new idea, Indiegogo? How would I try to raise money right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's the question. Um, but I'm, uh, I don't have the experience I have today. It's more like no, my. No, you, let's 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 say let's say you're trying to rebuild Indiegogo, knowing what you know now. What would you do? Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I just started a new company uh, less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I just okay, went to for that folks yeah. and cobbled together, you know, some money. But uh, that's based off of my experience uh, and what's already happened. But I don't think that's fair because not everybody has yeah. that background. So if I uh, don't have that background. Uh, or if I'm not as connected to all these people, mm-hmm. which most people are not, really, I try to create as much traction of proof of where my future vision is headed with as little money as possible. Um, so the more I could just scotch tape and duct tape and papers and sticks 
kind of prove that this is working. And for what it's worth, Indiegogo, that's what we actually did. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, before we actually wrote any code and before, you know, I don't know if people know this, but we were the first crowdfunding platform. So we couldn't say we we're going to be like that platform, but better. So that concept didn't exist. So trying to tell people about crowdfunding and for what it's worth, the word crowdfunding didn't exist. Uh, so trying to tell people what we were doing was difficult um, from an investor perspective. But what we were doing, even before we coded anything, is we were working with filmmakers because film was our first vertical. And we would talk to a filmmaker and say, hey, uh, how much are you trying to raise for your film? Okay, 10 grand. Well, can we help you raise your 10 grand? Sure, how are you going to do that? Well, do you have friends on your contact list? They say, yes, sure, I have friends. And you have a bank account. Yep, I have a bank account. So let's try to use PayPal and emails and maybe host like a little like get together. And let's see if we can get some people through phone calls and like a PayPal link and some MySpace and Facebook to try to uh, contribute money towards your $10,000 goal. And there was no code, mm-hmm. zero code. Hmm. And we actually got people to fund it. Uh, it was massively annoying, super painful, tons of you know, errors, customer service issues, uh, so many challenges. And, you know, the last thing you'd ever want to do is scale a business like that. Like Mm -hmm. that would suck. (laughs) Um, But what was clear is that there was a need in the market that there could be a solution for. And if you could just apply the software towards scaling out those things that seem annoying, that could really be interesting. Um, So that's kind of what I'm getting at. So the more you can create that sort of uh, traction, uh, the better off of hopefully as as little money as possible. So a similar example of that, uh, which is similar but different, is so the new company I'm working on is called Vincent. Um, with Vincent.com, you could join for the waiting list. And specifically what it is, is trying to provide an aggregating meta search across all alternative investments. So alternative investments didn't really go online until about uh, 11 years ago. And before that, the only way you were getting into an alternative investment whether it be an equity investment, whether it be a debt play, whether it be a collectibles like a card, sports card or wine or a car was you knew the right guy. You knew the right woman at the club, like you had some, some dinner with somebody who shared some drinks. So I got a deal for you. I know somebody who's got a really good investment, which is all fine and good. Um, but it's really become much more transparent and much more of an online play. Now there's almost 200 platforms uh, that offer these. And it's hard to tell who should we trust, uh, which platform is legit, where are the deals, can I compare and contrast? So we're basically creating Kayak uh, for alternative investments mm-hmm. or SeatGeek for alternative investments. So we didn't code anything and we just were wondering, is this a good idea? You know, do people actually want to do this? So we just figured the only way to figure it out is from people that actually are trying to invest into alternative investments, will they find value in this? So we, uh, you know, we worked with, almost 500 people where, and when I say worked, I mean, just verbally spoke to Mm -hmm. and just said, Hey, you know, what is your net worth? What are you looking for in terms of investments? If you can have one place where we can personalize your investment options and, you know, filter what you'd be looking for and present to you the top five options for your preferences, would that be interesting to you? And they say, yes, it'd be interesting. So we say, well, what are your preferences? And then we manually went across these 200 platforms and said, okay, based on your preferences, here's the five deals that we think you would like. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And then people were responding typically the same way. Like, this is great. Thanks for taking all the work out of it for me. I'd have to Google all this. I have to find these platforms. This is annoying. 
And then they would always ask, like, should I trust this platform? We present the facts to them. And, and then we were like, well, if you just had a simple service instead of having to interact with us where you could just do this in 10 seconds, would you do this? And they were like, yeah, that seems totally valuable. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, we didn't code anything. You with me? Yeah, yeah. So we got to then use that survey and that data of 500 uh, folks for our own raise. Um, again, it's just trying to prove as much traction without actually spending much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you're going to say, oh, it's got a huge TAM, it's $9 trillion. But that's, that's, I just say it's a big market. I'm talking about traction. Like what kind of evidence can you try to prove that there's a there there, that there's a problem in the market and what you're offering is the right solution? Mm-hmm. So that's what so, I would suggest. So talking to people. <laughs> yeah, talking I to mean, people. just trying to prove yeah. what it, and you know, I think there's a lot to be accomplished with 100 grand, 250 grand. If you could cobble together that sort of money, start to really get that early traction. Um, I do think that's the path to then getting your two, three million dollars. All right. So when, uh, so after these folks have talked to enough people and they've got enough, uh, they've got enough forward momentum, where should they contact you? Oh, my email is just my name, Slava at Humbition. Dot com. So Humbition is uh, the name of the fund and it's humble and ambition put together. Those are the two attributes that we really like uh, for entrepreneurs to have. Um, but yeah, I'm totally open to any uh, pitches or intros. I, I like to always say I'm completely open and, um, you know, send me whatever. I just can't promise you that I will say yes or that I will even say we should talk about this further. So I'm just very direct, but I welcome any, you know, ideas. But you're always kind enough to come and, and hang out with, with these folks and hang out with me, which John, is very you're nice. the best. So anytime you ask, <laughs> I'm always there, as long as there's potentially some brisket on the other side. All right, boss. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. Remember, if you have any questions, you can email Slava. Uh, we have a new book out uh, that Slava actually uh, wrote a... You're on, you're, on the, uh, you're on the inside cover, so you're pretty, you're pretty you're a big deal. So uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a blurb for us. It's great. Uh, we're going to try to do this once a week, but, uh, but thanks for joining us, Lava. You got it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you.